on the talkback show on the radio or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC podcast, where we talk about the Packers and our hometown of Green Bay. This is episode 21, created on September 21st, 2022. Hi, I'm John in Appleton, Wisconsin, along with me, Jeff in Minnesota, and Neil on the East Coast. Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking. Hello, I am having a Dogfish Head Solera number two. It is a beer that requires a cork, champagne cork. Oh my. Nice. And it's delicious. I'm going with the uh, High West Double Rye Neat. Enjoy. All right. Quite simply, I have a whiskey soda. With the podcast, you can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast or Green Bay Chat. And the audio is just available on Spotify and Anchor by searching for Green Bay Chat. But Neil tells me there's some problems with that. We've got to get fixed anyway. Uh, we will get you more information through our Twitter page as we do. But our topics for this week, it was Bears Week on Sunday Night Football. So we'll get a recap of that and maybe some other thoughts on week two around the league. We've got our Packer player of the past, as usual. That'll transition us into the week three preview for the upcoming game, as well as our Packer history report. But before all of that, you guys, the curse is lifted. Woohoo! As our friend Jim pointed out, when we started this podcast last year, just between, between week 16 and 17, uh, as of the start of the podcast, the Packers had never won a game. We were until, over. <laughs> we were over. <laughs> Uh, until this week. Now the the Bear Packers beat the Bears, and that lifts our curse. But Neil, going back to last year, we were kind of riding a high after week 16. We devastatingly crushed the Minnesota Vikings in week, week 16, and we said, let's do it. We got to do it. It's something we had been kicking the ball on, kicking the can down the road. Uh, what do you remember back then, Neil? What kind of high were we on there? We were just enthusiastic, right? I mean, the Packers looked like they had, they, you know, they were they were thirteen and uh, excuse me, yeah, thirteen and three. Um, they're about to play the Lions. They're about to be the one seed. So this is a team that certainly was positioned for a long playoff run. And obviously, we know what happened as far as that's concerned. And and that you know, disentangling that has been part of the um, interest as far as this is concerned. The process, as it were. <laughs> and Jeff, you had pointed out that Lions game just didn't matter, but. Uh, yeah. It ends up being a loss in in in, mm -hmm. in the column, and then in the playoffs, uh, the Packers go and shit the bed, and that kind of ruined all of the high hopes that we had for yeah. our podcast running through the postseason. But we ran through anyway, and we had good a good time with it. Uh, but now we are, you know, into our second season, and certainly, uh, I think the biggest week we had so far with the Bears. We had a great show last week, <clears throat> and uh, we had a lot of prep, a lot of fun tailgating on game day was excellent in green bay we had beautiful weather people found us in lot nine uh that was most excellent but the game itself uh how'd it look the most important part about the game is that the packers did what we thought the packers were going to do the packers played dominant defense and they had an offense that moved the ball primarily on the ground but also made plays as far as the passing was concerned too. It was very much a wide receiver by committee. There was no wide receiver with, with more than four targets. In fact, Sammy Watkins at four was the only one even at four. Um, but you know, Aaron Rodgers finished up with 234 yards and two touchdown passes uh, with very efficient passing. The most important thing was our running game. We had 203 yards rushing as far as the game was concerned. And Aaron Jones was the biggest part of that. He contributed both running and receiving. Um, AJ Dillon, 
playing in a supporting role, but especially they actually had Dylan and Jones on the same on the field at the same time this week. Um, I think that's something that looks to be going something that's going to be continued. Uh, Dylan also yeah. with 61 yards ru- rushing. For me, the most encouraging part of the game was seeing Sammy Watkins really have a good game, sort of set himself up as possibly a one or maybe a two receiver, but somebody who we had doubts about just based on what his recent history was. And he showed he absolutely can make significant plays in this Packers office with uh, offense with Aaron Rodgers. And that was a really encouraging thing on the defensive side. uh, Smith and Gary each had two tackles for losses Importantly, we also held Justin Fields to only 48 yards passing net. And I think that that really points to the fear that the Bears have with Justin Fields, right? He only had seven completions, you know, with 50 minutes into the game, he was seven of nine for 70 yards. And, you know, that sounds like a pretty good first quarter. In fact, that's really close to what Aaron Rodgers' first quarter numbers were. Um, But that's definitely not something that is going to be sustainable for the Bears. Um, And so that was good for us. But And you could see some of the fear that the Bears coaching staff had with some of the play calls they've made, including by right by the end zone. So overall, a really encouraging game. And again, going back to our rushing, uh, Aaron Jones forced uh, 13 missed tackles as far as the game was concerned. He had 118 yards after first contact or after catch. Wow. Um, that is an incredible performance by Aaron Jones. So a few things with that, talking about number one receiver, Sammy Watkins, as you said, leading numbers, and he looked nice on the long pass, but Alan Lazard got the touchdown pass, Uh, Lazard being the prime target on that pass. uh, So they're, you know, probably going to battle that one position and they're going to practice that way. Uh, We saw Randall Cobb, the bear killer, make a couple of nice plays. (laughs) He got in the game. Uh, As you said, Neil, it was nice uh, having Dylan and Jones on the field at the same time on, on the touchdown run. It was pretty beautiful. Uh, just a lot of things that went correctly. But going back to the defensive side, you talked about how we held Justin Fields in check. But what about David Montgomery? 15, you know, 122 yards on 15 carries. Now, maybe a quiet 122 yards. <laughs> Jeff, you were watching more than I was. Uh, did it seem like he picked up 122 yards, and how is the defense handling the run on the game? Well, he it was mostly on – it wasn't consistent throughout the game. It's not like every time they handed him the ball. It's just on a, either the third or fourth quarter, he had – he just – they couldn't stop him. Uh, it was it was concerning, very concerning. And then he stopped running the ball again. So that's a typical – unfortunately <laughs> or fortunately for us, that's kind of how the Bears they – they just were really streaky – and um, it, it was a quiet, you know, 100-plus yard game for him. But it, it, he was not impactful. I mean, he didn't score a touchdown. He was very um, – it was a strange – it was just a strange game. When, you're, when your quarterback only passes 11 times yeah. and your running back, I guess, only has, you know, just over 100 yards, I think the defense, for the most part, except for a couple, a couple drives where we were kind of like, oh, boy – here we go. Well, I mean, go, it wasn't go back to that first quarter, right? We were down in the first quarter and there, yeah. there's a whole bunch of Seven flashbacks zip. in Packers land that, Oh no, this might be a situation where this is going to be close. And then they changed their game and sort of looking at the stats for the entire game, the bears did actually have 180 yards rushing in the entire game. So they got almost as many yards rushing as we did in the game. It's just that their passing game was essentially non-existent and that, and that's yeah. what saved us. And, and really, the, what it comes down to, Jeff, the way you're describing it, the only person who could stop David Montgomery was Matt Eberflus, you know, kind of yes. like back to the <laughs> yeah. days. 
No, hey, who, it was. Who's going to stop Barry Sanders? Well, I guess Wayne Fonts will stop him for us. That'll be yeah, him. exactly. No, it, and that's that's what it seemed like. I know I was there was I won't say panic on Twitter, but there was some you know oh boy here we go we can't you know, but fortunately it was the Bears coaching staff and you said they just they took the ball out of his hands and that was that. All right, what about the fourth and one stop? Justin Fields inexplicably trying to do a quarterback dive out of the shotgun and get stacked up at the line. We all saw the instant replay. We, we've it was seen close. The... <laughs> it was really close. <laughs> we've seen the freeze frame on it. Was he in? Did he cross? Did I, the ball I, cross? I am glad that it was called not a touchdown on the field. Right. I think that, that was the overall determination. It was no touchdown on the field, inconclusive on replay, Packer ball. Right. The way that the, the way the call was made, that's how they had to rule it. Uh, yeah. Even if he does get across, does that change the complexion of the game at all? I think so, because it, it would have, yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, I, I, the Bears would have had momentum at that point, and unfortunately, Packers might have gotten conservative. And, oh, we can't, we're going to play not to lose, which usually means you lose. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can't just simply say it would have been a 27-17 game, uh, but it may have ended up different, may not have been a 10-point win instead. Yeah. I agree with Jeff entirely. This is a game where there absolutely was momentum. The Bears had it at the beginning. We took control, and we didn't want to give it back to the Bears. And thankfully, uh, they decided to do one of the most inexplicable fourth and goal plays in in NFL history. It was weird. Run outside. Run a play action path. You know, do something. That's okay. Yeah, and we don't need to relive the the play. I mean, it's been beaten to death. The call was the call, and the mm -hmm. final score was the final score. So Green Bay. Walks away with the win. Jeff, what does that do for the uh, the franchise, the, the career totals? The, add, add that one in the win column to your numbers from last week. Do you still have those numbers? Um, yeah. I do not. So <laughs> just plus one. <laughs> we're, we're, now, we're now one game behind the Bears. That's the most important thing. And yep. um, you know, we're closing in quickly. And it doesn't look like the Bears are going to have a 13-win season to take over. So Well, and I guess maybe the, the bigger statistic is the fact that now this is seven wins in a row. So when they go down to Chicago late in the season, a game that's probably going to mean quite a bit for Green Bay, that they can tie their their longest winning streak at eight. Again, let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves here, but they're on a seven game win streak, so that's that's good. And, and based on Justin Fields' comments after the game, the fans that got on him, social media, um, the shitstorm that kind of happened there, uh, almost disrespecting the Bears fans due to just you know, Aaron Rodgers and not only Aaron Rodgers, the Packers in general have, have really had the bears number over the last 20 plus years. And it's been great. You know what number the Packers have also had calling as many timeouts as humanly possible is. Oh as God. Two <laughs> really? You had to bring that up now. <laughs> Two timeouts in the first 18 minutes of the game. It's just, could we please stop doing that just once? God, because it's going to, at some point it's going to matter. It didn't matter on Sunday, but it's going to matter at some point again. And, and, uh, Good Let's thing they're limited to three that. per half, right? Yeah. Well, all right. Well, here, here's a, how about those, how about the asshats? They did not factor into this game, thankfully, unlike the last game where they, they gave up, you know, long returns and things like that. I think there's actual progress there. There really does seem to be the, the muff punt that wasn't or so great, but there was a return of 20 yards. There's hope. So we'll just, it's a work in progress. There's still the asshats. 
Amari Rogers had a return. Time. I'm just happy that we got a return <laughs> at some point. It's this is all that we really need. You know, we got to look at these baby, baby steps. steps, right? <laughs> that's that's such a low bar. <laughs> hey, we got a return. <laughs> Again, go back. Did you watch? You know the NFC divisional round last year. You know how low it can get. No, you're, yeah. We're way above that point right now. Yeah, the bar is laying on the ground, basically <laughs> on the snow covered field. So yes, there is improvement. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're still the asshats until they they fully redeem themselves. Speaking of improvement, we hope that Elton Jenkins is going to uh, improve yes. from his first uh, time back yes. because we we had some issues on the lines. Rogers was sacked three times, um, and Elton Jenkins was responsible for four hits on Rogers as far as the pass blocking is concerned. He graded out as our, our worst. Uh, lineman in the game so that was um, you, first you, have game to, back. You, you have to assume this is a first game back thing but um and i guess that tempers our enthusiasm for what bakhtiari is going to do right off the yeah. bat as well and it's going to be as we're talking about the receivers i think it's just going to take some time for them to gel i don't think that the elton Jenkins has lost the ability i don't think he's lost the technique i don't think he's lost the strength but there's just getting that muscle memory back to where it needs to be well, I want to bring up one other thing I was thinking about when we we're talking about receivers, Alan Lazard. Okay. So he caught the touchdown. That's good. I think what was really kind of uh, the game within the game, but oh my God, what a cliche, his blocking. Okay. Wide receiver blocking obviously had was, was huge because he is a really, really good downfield blocker and with over 200 yards rushing. And I, I'm sure Aaron Jones was like, Thank you. Thank you. Because now you've got the receivers that really were gelling. They don't have to catch the pass. I mean, like I said, if we could, if our two uh, running backs run for over a combined 200 yards, we're probably going to win the game every single time. So if the receivers are not contributing in the, in the passing game, let them block and block successfully. And that, I think that's a really big piece of their success. Uh, yeah. on, uh, no, right. It's, well. it's nice to, to see the commitment to the run actually stick yeah. because we've been hearing yeah. it for years. Oh, we're, we're, we're really going to start committing to the run. No, well, yeah. Okay. Well, it's nice to see it when it happens. Yeah. Uh, and let's, yeah, you've got two terrific running backs. Uh, let's keep, keep that ball on the ground. Keep moving it forward. Let's keep yeah. the ball on the ground and keep uh, Christian Watson away from wherever the ball is when it's being snapped. Although what, what's intriguing though, I don't know if he's, there's certain Twitter um, sites that are like, Hey, he's smoking the DBs at the line of scrimmage. Are they ever going to throw the ball to him? So it'll be interesting to see if at some point they do start throwing him the ball because he is getting open. So is that just Rogers going, okay, Rook, you're running the routes are, you know, are they looking at it in the film room going, okay, are you in the right spot? Get a little trust from Rogers and maybe one of these weeks, you know, he does get half a dozen throws I, I think we're in the patience grasshopper mode and it's going to happen it's just a matter of when baby steps again like you said earlier regardless it uh, puts the Packer record at one and one bears drop to one and one it's actually a four-way tie gridlocked in the right. NFC North everybody with one and one uh, and with that said taking a look at uh, the week two around the league so the the Vikings Jeff you know they won the Super Bowl last week how are things they in Minnesota did. How are things in Minnesota this week uh, with their with their week two loss and bringing them back down to earth? Well, about as you as uh, as demoralized as you you'd expect. You know, Kirk Cousins. Woof! I don't know what the hell he was thinking in the red zone. I mean, those were those were awful throws. Anytime you get the the Monday night 
announcer to go, yeah, we're not, didn't really look like he knew where he was throwing the ball. You know, that's, yeah, you don't really want that, your your quarterback to experience that. I think the the biggest, that Jefferson was, was shut down and, but Cousins kept going to him, which was weird because that's not, that hasn't been his MO. He's spread the ball around after that. He just was not, you know, Adam Thielen was the, the invisible man out there. And I think that, um, you know, if, if, if cousins is going to really key on Jefferson and you can shut Jefferson down, this is not because Dalvin cook was a non-factor in the running game. So suddenly this team becomes not very good. I think you, there's an over, you know, we overreact in week one. I think this is a overreaction to week yeah. two though, in this case, because Philadelphia is an extremely tough place to play and the Eagles made a lot of strides. And so the, the fact is that teams have bad games. Every team yeah. has a bad game at some point in the season. And this one happened to be on Monday night football. And I guess well, the, 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 the issue is that for Kirk cousins, these yeah. uh, spotlight games tend to be where he uh, fucks up the yeah, most. His but... primetime games are awful. And, and statistically, the game on Monday night was actually his worst game as a starter in primetime uh, in the whole, the That's whole saying something. of all of those. So uh, on the other side of the ball, though, I think Philadelphia is really establishing itself as a team that is a real threat as far as the NFC is concerned. Uh, I expressed my doubts about Jalen Hurts at the beginning of the year, and I'm still yeah, not <laughs> completely convinced by Jalen Hurts, but wow, what a performance by wow. Hurts, both throwing the ball and uh, running the ball with his legs. Um, 390 yards combined between uh, rushing and passing for Hurts. That was incredible, and uh, you look at their defense, you look at their receivers, he spread the ball around more in, in week two compared to week one. This is a team that has all the parts and you know they also don't have them all fully in place yet but that defense was scary you know what was done to justin jefferson is something that could be done to any receiver in the league well and then you shift uh to the cowboys looks like mike mccarthy gets to keep his job for at least another week um you know which team is for them is going to show up you know on, on any given sunday and staying in the division i don't think the giants I don't know. We'll, we'll find out when we play them in a couple of weeks in London. I think that's, that's maybe shaping up to be more of a difficult game than we thought, but I don't know. They're too wanted to touch base on, on Neil's love of the lions, the lions taking care of the Washington commanders, 36 to 27. As we mentioned, the, the lions had gone 24 weeks straight as the underdog on the betting line. They were favored by two and a half on that, one, on that game. They end up covering, they win the game by nine points. Uh, how'd the lions look to you, Neil? I, you know, they, they definitely impressed me. They are accelerating as far as their offense is concerned. Now for a second week in a row, their defense has been less stout than we had thought going in. We thought that maybe that their defense was going to be the strength of the team. Um, Carson Wentz had 337 yards passing. Um, obviously Washington scored 27 points. It's their offense. that has been the real surprise and four touchdowns, no interceptions for golf. Uh, Amon Ross uh, St. Brown, two rushes for 68 yards, nine receptions, 116 yards, two touchdowns. That's a real wide receiver. That is somebody who is going to be somebody that we need to take care of when we play Detroit. Well, and, and just you mentioned Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. I mean, look at from what, when they were drafted to where they are now. Uh, how do you how do you even plot that trajectory out the way that, the, you know, culminates into this game? That's just, the underdog bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Too many things going on there. 49ers get a win, uh, 27-7. 
the Rams keep rolling. They're up. Uh, they beat the, the Falcons. Uh, who else? We're just going to kind of go down the list of scores here. Oh, I know the one I wanted to talk about, Jeff, because I was so confused on what was going on. I wasn't able to watch it. Uh, <laughs> the scoring updates because it looks like the Raiders and the Cardinals were going to go into overtime with a score of 23 to 21 somehow. But you said that yeah. that 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 two point conversion was under review, but the Cardinals end up coming back on that yeah. one. What happened to the Raiders there? It was more of I, what it was more of what the Cardinals did. I yeah. you know they I, I did not watch the game until it got late into the fourth quarter. But in that segment where they converted, they got two touchdowns and two two point conversions. They looked like the team that we expected them to be, rather than the team that they had shown themselves to be in the first seven quarters of the year. And you know this Jekyll and Hyde component has been a theme. Yeah of Kingsbury and a thing of, of Murray. And so there's a question, are they going to ever be able to achieve any sort of consistency? But Kyler Murray is an athlete that is possibly better than any other athlete in the NFL, as far as his ability to do all sorts of different things. And he was everywhere. And if you have to face that Kyler Murray, your team is in trouble potentially. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, one of a, a number of thrilling comebacks over the week. I mean, I'm sure well, the NFL is ecstatic about that. You know, there's, there's, there's that, that uh, thrilling comeback versus shit the bed kind of thing. So when you look at the Browns jets game, the Browns were up. That's a shit the bed. 13 it, uh, points with less than two minutes to go. And the jets jets, 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 My baby. Goodness. Right. Yeah. No, that's a shit the bed. Whereas that, that Raider game, it was just like Neil said, it was an individual effort. It was Kyler Murray saying, okay, we're going to freaking win this game. Until and... the Ra until the Raiders shit the bed in overtime and decided they'd fumble on two plays and give the ball yeah, and give a the return for score. a touchdown yeah. to end it. That was you thought that they had taken care of Arizona. They were going to get the ball back. They're moving into field goal range, and um, the Raiders definitely shit the bed on that. And you know, when we're talking about the Cowboys Bengals games, we we're noting as we're watching this go back is, you know, which team is going to choke more. And in the end, it was the Bengals that choked more, but yeah. I, I was not, I was impressed by the Cowboys defense, but they didn't elevate themselves to the level of a team that actually no. scares me. I was mostly left unimpressed with the Bengals and the state of, especially their line. Oh, you know we gotta Joe Burrow's going to get killed. I mean, he's not going to finish the season. If he, if they don't fix that offensive line, I mean, He's right you now on pace. He's right now on pace for like 116 sacks. I like to say he's not. Yeah, it's not going to happen. And, you know, now that, you know, since we were, you know, I've been following the Bengals a little more, obviously, since our trip there last year and, and, you know, Bengal gym and, you know, kind of, I get a lot of the uh, social media um, things like that. And I feel bad for Burrow. I mean, like, Oh my God, this poor guy is just, he's back there. And yes, uh, Dallas does have some very formidable players on defense, but I mean, my God, they've got to get Burrow some friggin' help. What about what's going on in Indianapolis? Are the Colts really that bad? 20, wow. 24 yeah. to nothing loss to the Jaguars. They're 0 1 and 1 now to start the, the Jaguars. Season. Yeah. The Jaguars. Yeah. But you know, I think we got we got to revamp this segment for for future weeks. We'll have uh, we'll have to take all the games of the week. We'll have like the 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 glorious victory of the week and the shit the good the bad and the ugly <laughs> <laughs> but but the big the big game the big team the team i think that we are going to keep our eye on all season long is buffalo the bills just yeah. make short work of the tennessee titans 41 to 7 uh and yeah. to the point where backups galore throughout the fourth quarter of that game are into Even it, the but, third quarter i mean yeah. it was like it was over early Tennessee just could not get anything moving, but uh, Neil, you were mentioning online even, or you were part of the online conversation, how 
the the Buffalo Bills are looking like the 1996 Packers, a team that can lead the league in both offense and yeah. defense. And even though it's just two games in the season, and, and maybe it's hyperbole to put it there right now, but how scary do they look? I mean, they, the 96 Packers was the last team to do it, and it looks to me like the Bills are going to be the next team to do it. It's just it's just going to be a boat race. The Bills are out front, and everybody else has got to try to yeah. catch up. Yeah, I mean, it, short of a catastrophic injury on one of the key, you know, because Stefan Diggs was unstoppable. Every, everything works. I mean, what they didn't punt until the third quarter. I think it was the first punt this year, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Or like second, <laughs> third quarter, the second freaking game. Yeah, you you know your te- your offense is doing pretty well when your punter is a complete nut. completely irrelevant so that's a look around the league for week two we got a plan on how to you know maybe do this segment for future weeks we'll work on that we'll see how that comes about we want to take a look at week three in our game against the tampa bay buccaneers but before we get to that we have our packer player of the past so this week's packers player of the past is johnny gray a safety for the packers from 1975 till 1983 we've got the the photo of johnny gray doing what we remember johnny gray doing best <laughs> knocking the shit out of people um, he was a known as a tough defender a guy who was going to hit his uh, potency as far as hitting people and being a leader is represented by the fact that he was the defensive co-captain from 1979 until 1983 in the last year that he played. So where did Johnny Gray come from? He did his high school football in Lompoc High School in California, um, but he didn't play until his senior year in high school. Um, and so because he only played his senior year, he did not uh, get recruited, although he did have one teammate who is uh, noteworthy as far as Packers fan, which is Ed Rogers, the father of Aaron Rodgers was actually one of his teammates in California. Wow. He spent two years in junior college at Allen Hancock College before it went to Cal State Fullerton for his last two years of college. And he was undrafted in the 1975 draft as a 5'11 safety um, who ran a 4740. So somebody who was uh, not on the radar of teams, but the Packers had an inkling that he's somebody who could play, and they signed him as an undrafted free agent. And he made his uh, move in the first minicamp in April um, with coach Bart Starr, um, who said specifically about Johnny Gray, he's a hitter. By the fifth of six preseason games, he was a starter, and he started his first 99 games for the Packers. He was on the all-rookie team, um, and he was specifically known by his hitting both in the league and by his defensive backs coach for three years, Dick LeBeau. Yes, that Dick LeBeau. Um, Over the course of his Packers career, he had 22 interceptions, 22 recovered fumbles, over 800 tackles. He also served as a punt returner from time to time, especially earlier on in his career. And uh, as far as his standing among Packers fans and among the Packers, he was on the cover of the 1978 Packers yearbook, uh, something that was certainly the highest praise for a player back in those days. Uh, So a very strong career, Packers Hall of Fame, named the Packers Hall of Fame in 1993. Uh, Why is he the Packers player of the past this week? Uh, Because he played on those 1977 Packers who had the first Packers game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were named a new franchise or became a new franchise in 1976. They were then in the AFC West, so really geographically challenged. The Buccaneers were 0-14 in their first year in the league. In their second year in the league, 1977, the Bucs were moved to the NFC Central and they lost their first six games. But now they had a game against the one in four Packers, and it was in Tampa Bay. This was their chance to possibly get that first victory as far as the franchise was concerned. 
Uh, it is a game that is completely unnoteworthy as far as uh, the plays of the game. It was a 13-0 Packer victory. And unless you're really into uh, Eric Torkelson and Barty Smith, you don't really want to know the details of the game, although the entire the, the highlights of the game are actually available on YouTube, which was entertaining to watch. The, the game was that was pathetic as far as offense. I won't go through all the numbers, but uh, neither team really had more than 200 yards as far as total offense is concerned. The key to the game was uh, turnovers, two interceptions by the Packers and one fumble return by Johnny Gray. Um, and it's the fumbles are really the only thing that differentiates these teams that were otherwise really pitiful. Um, both punters had over 300 yards punting in the game, for example. That tells you what a, what a slugfest it was. Uh, this Johnny, Eric Torkelson? <laughs> that Eric Torkelson, <laughs> that's right. Um, he you know, had 73 yards rushing in the Packers' only touchdown. So he was, he was the key player of the game. Ooh, but, player yeah, of the game. <laughs> 20 to 73 yards on 22 carries. You, you know that that average is not good. Mm. Um, but anyway, Johnny, Johnny Gray, if you listen to that broadcast that's available on YouTube, they're talking about his hitting even then, right? It was his third year in the league. Uh, he, had, he had plays in which he was pressuring the quarterback. You know, this was one of the few things that we had to look forward to as far as the team and sort of looking over the entire Bart Starr era. We knew that we had a rock in the defensive backfield starting out at, at, at free safety um, and then moving to strong safety later on. But somebody who happy memory of our youth and player that uh, continued on as far as his connections with the Packers after retirement, including doing local broadcasting in Green Bay for quite a while afterwards. And he had been on the radio for quite a bit with uh, WDUZ. The fan had been on there, uh, him and Harry Sidney still living in, in town, doing things with uh, Chris Hovel and, and getting on the radio. Uh, and, and, and I think Johnny's a good guy in the community. And, you know, fun story there, Neil, uh, or for both of you, do you remember when the Alloway Pool became the Broadview YMCA in 1985? Yep. Uh, my first job was working, 15 years old, working in the Lifestyle Center of that Broadview YMCA. And my boss was Johnny Gray. Johnny Gray, nice. was uh, he ran the Lifestyle Center and uh, kept things ship shape uh, when that YMCA first opened up until Western Racket uh, recruited him away to the other side of town. And he <laughs> went over there. Uh, to run things but you know in in maybe a, two or three encounters that i had with them uh being 15 years old at the time you know awestruck first oh wow you're johnny gray uh but then just seeing him as a, as a regular guy working in the you know cleaning cleaning off equipment and showing people how to lift weights in the lifestyle center uh it was fun to work with him i don't think he remembers me <laughs> probably I'm not sure, john i'm sure probably it was not. very nondescript but you know uh neil if i th i feel like though neil if you had told me before today uh he was going to be the player of the week or the player of the past I, I probably could have put in a couple of calls to get johnny on the podcast also here's your trivia i'll give you some lee remel-esque trivia for you you talked about that Buccaneers squad and and how they came into existence in 1976 in the 1976 expansion draft the packers lost three players two went to the seattle seahawks and one went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the one player that went to the Buccaneers was the Packers' first-round draft pick in 1973. They drafted him 21st overall. His name, Barry Smith. Not Barty Smith, who you mentioned as the running back, because they had back-to-back first-round picks, Barry Smith in 73 and Barty Smith in 74. Barry Smith in, the, in 73 to 75 played a total 41 games for the Green Bay Packers, wearing number 80 uh, before Lofton and Driver immortalized that jersey number. And then uh, he went to Tampa in that expansion draft, 
played one season with the Buccaneers before retiring, whether it was uh, because he, he needed to retire that first season was that miserable. He said, I am not sticking around for this any longer. We don't know, but that's, that's your uh, other Packers connection to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that first season, that inaugural season and their expansion draft. And that brings us to us talking about week three Packers versus Buccaneers. So in our recap of week two around the league, the one game we didn't look at was that Buccaneers-Saints game. The Buccaneers ended up winning the game 20-10, to 10, but Jeff, you watched it, and Tom Brady was in full whiny bitch baby mode the whole game. What exactly was going on in that matchup? Well, these two teams, they're, they're pretty salty when they get together. There's been a, a recent history of suspensions, cheap shots, um, they just really don't like each other. And Brady has, um, correct me if I'm wrong, has never beaten New Orleans um, had, as, had, a, as a buck. Hadn't. Yeah. Right. Hadn't. hadn't is the key word. Well, and this wasn't exactly a premier offensive battle, if you know what I mean. It was freaking awful. Um, it, was, it was very, you know, there was basically no scoring, a couple field goals. Um, and then things got really chippy. Yes, Brady was a whiny little bitch in this game, and um, they were yapping uh, with Lattimore, and then Mike Evans got involved, and Mike, he got his ass suspended for one game. Um, so not only fined and kicked out of the game, as did Lattimore, and I think that's probably, you know, Lattimore doesn't care. He's like, that was awesome, right? So Mike Evans is out now. That's not so good for Tampa. Good for us, not so good for Tampa because there are other, some of their other premier receivers are also injured. So now with Mike Evans getting his ass suspended, you know, who's left kind of not, not, you know, obviously Gronk has retired and Gronk has done some awful things as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer to our defense. So it's looking kind of encouraging. The only wild card here is Leonard Fournette. I mean, he's probably going to touch the ball 30 times. So the question is, is he going to be effective? What I'm hoping, and we talked about this um, before the season started with Brady, is that if you can get to Brady early, you're going to rattle him. He's not going to have a good game. And that's that's what New Orleans was doing. I mean, Brady did not have a good game statistically in this. I mean, they get the win, yes. But that's what we need to do because the New Orleans offense is atrocious. Ours is not. So um, Alvin Kamara was, was not, didn't play last weekend. And so, um, yeah. So rattle Brady, the keys, you know, the quick keys to the game, rattle Brady, get him into bitch ass whiny mode again, or worse. And he's got nobody to throw to. So key on Leonard Fournette. And I think we've got a really good chance. To be clear, the Mike Evans uh, ejection suspended one game. He quickly appealed it. The he way the NFL it, is doing appeals now. It was now. denied. Yeah, the, those appeals go in right away. That was today. The appeal was yep. denied. He is definitely out uh, for Sunday, uh, the Tampa Bay Green Bay matchup uh, on Sunday down in Tampa in the afternoon. But, Neil, uh, overall records, kind of the history there. Uh, uh, Tom Brady sure seems to have Green Bay's number, whether it's against Aaron Rodgers or, or, uh, the Matt Flynn game that was out there as well. Uh, the numbers are in his favor, but uh, even historically, the, these two teams have, have had a great history. We've got the far sap photo up there. 
you know, we had Tampa for the, the doormats for long enough, but uh, they have been holding their own lately. Neil, what, uh, what do you see historically in coming up here? Aaron Rodgers overall is only one in three versus Tom Brady, which is kind of remarkable. And the, the Matt Flynn game, or one of the Matt Flynn games, one of the Matt Flynn games, um, explains why Brady and Rodgers never even faced each other until 2014 when Aaron Rodgers beat Tom Brady 26-21 in Lambeau Field. Um, our recent history with Tom Brady is obviously not great. Um, looking at the 2020 uh, regular season and MC championship game, um, five sacks of Rodgers in both of those games. Um, we only had 107 net, net yards passing in the regular season game. But prior to the season, when we made our picks for the year, I chose the Packers to beat the Buccaneers in it, despite the game being in Florida, despite the and you were September the only one, I Florida think, search. right? And the reason why I did at the basic level was that while well, Tom Brady is getting old and eventually he's going to fall apart. And I don't think he's fallen apart yet, but there are enough hints as far as the first two Buccaneers game this season, not just the Tom Brady bitch ass mode. But if you look at Brady's stats <laughs> against Dallas, 18 of 20, 18 uh, for 27, which one touchdown, one interception, two sacks. Um, the, the uh, Buccaneers needed four field goals in order to beat Dallas. They only had one touchdown by their offense against the saints. It was a three, three game into the fourth quarter. Brady, 18 of 34, 190, one touchdown, one sack. Um, Tampa Bay overall in that game against the saints only had 260 yards of offense. They were five of 17 on third down. There was zero of one on fourth down. They had eight penalties for 101 yards. So there are a lot of weaknesses as far as the weakness, as far as this buck team, especially with Mike Evans out, especially with Godwin being injured. Uh, we don't, I think have to worry about this game becoming a shootout, which is good because the Buccaneers defense is that good. And that's obviously the, the scary point as far as the game is concerned. Jameis Winston was Winston was sacked six times in the game against the Buccaneers. He was intercepted three times. And yes, that may be Jameis Winston, but um, there's more to it than that. That Bucks defense is good. And so we're going to have to be on top of our game as far as uh, being able to move the ball um, in short bits and not becoming too short as far as our attention span. Make sure that we've got the long game plan in place. Obviously, throw a few downfield, but don't get past crazy as we did um, in the championship game against the Buccaneers a couple of years ago. Um, and Jeff, you noted that Leonard Fournette is the key. In the game against Dallas, he had 21 runs for 127 yards. They beat Dallas. Uh, only 20, only 65 yards in 24 runs in, against the Saints. And so essentially, we've, if we've got Kenny Clark in our front, front line holding Fournette in place, um, I think we put it, generate a situation where the Buccaneers are going to have problems scoring, and then we've got to be able to take advantage. Hopefully, we can force a turnover. Hopefully, our offense is going to get moving enough in order to score a couple of times, and that might be sufficient. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think that both teams have their weaknesses on offense, and both teams have their strengths and defenses. But I don't feel that this is a game that the Packers can't win. Indeed, I stand by and, and actually am even more um, in favor of my statement that I think the Packers are going to beat the Buccaneers this week. Yeah, my confidence on this one, I had them losing, but my confidence was was pretty low. Um, and obviously the Mike Evans suspension certainly helps out. Um, but what's interesting, I think you're right. I think this is going to be a low scoring game. And I think what what's probably going to end up happening, if it is a low scoring game, it's going to be some either stupid penalty or stupid turnover. Um, Cause we did have a couple of them, the bad snap, the, fu the, the fumbled handoff um, for the bears game, the Packers, we can't have that against the bucks. I think our margin of error 
in this game is pretty, pretty small. At least we don't have Kevin King. <laughs> you had to go there, Neil. You had to do it. <laughs> wow. Sorry, there's a lot of pain here. Well, we, we, we did put in our picks, and this was at the start of the season. We have our confidence yeah. goal. I'll, I'll admit, yeah, I, I think based on, okay, teams at full strength uh, early in the season, uh, I felt that Tampa maybe had the advantage just because, and I think Green Bay still, um, you know, there's they're not 100% yet. They, they, as we talked about last week, that was the, the, the fourth preseason game effectively in Minnesota. Uh, yeah. they, they certainly manhandled the Bears, but there were, you know, play here, play there. Uh, a, a instant replay call change. Things can be a little bit different in that matchup. Um, but I think, yeah, the defense, I think the Packer defense, if, if we're going to start believing that the Packer defense is what's going to carry this team this year, uh, they definitely have to show it in week three. If they're ready and they win, great. Uh, but if, if Brady kind of picks them apart somehow and, uh, and they you know walk away from it, I think it's early in the season you can still recover from that. Uh, loss, even though that would put you at one and two to start the season, uh, there are worse things that could happen. So last week, though, Neil, we talked about franchise history, you know, that overall Packers-Bears record, um, Packers-Buccaneers, long straight history. What's the, uh, what's the total franchise record on this team? The Packers overall are 33-23-1 and one against the Buccaneers. So we have a winning record. That winning record was especially helped in the 90s from November 92 to September 98. The Packers were 12-1 and one against the Buccaneers, although the Buccaneers clawed that back from December 98 to November 2002 when they were 8-4 and four against us. And we can pretty much uh, indicate you know, which coaching regimes were involved as far as those two streaks <laughs> yeah. are concerned. In that franchise history, though, Jeff, one of those ties is is kind of a significant game. What else kind of stands out to you in the history with the Buccaneers? It, it is. So I'll address the tie game. It was October 12th, 1980. The Packers were in Tampa. The game ended as a 14-14 tie. Okay, that's reasonably benign. Uh, in this game, Lynn Dickey and the Packers had 569 yards of offense. The Bucks had 262. The Packers, and it went in overtime, and that's when they played the full 15-minute quarter, uh, overtime quarter. The Packers had the ball 50 minutes and 12 seconds. <laughs> I mean, like, so Dickey set at the time in 1980, he set three team records in the game. He was 35 of 51 for 418 yards. His counterpart, Doug Williams, was six of 24 for a buck three. Dickie did have a pick six, unfortunately, what contributed to the, the tie. The other was, and it's an interesting correlation to what we talked about last week to Chester Markle. This is right after he had been dismissed from the team. So a uh, high school substitution teacher by the name of Tom Bernie, Bernie. Yep. Uh, from um, East Lansing. So he was the kicker for the Packers. You can't make this stuff up. He was, so it was a light wind in Tampa. It was a beautiful day again, October day, a light wind. He was short on a 47 yard field goal. He missed wide left a 24 yard field goal and he missed one other field goal thus contributing to the 14 14 tie and the only tie in uh the mat the historical matchups between these two now the other game i'm not sure i remember it i wasn't mm -hmm. there 
perhaps you were there, December 1st, 1985 at Lambeau, the Snow Bowl. This game, I, the Packers dominated. They won 21 to nothing. Ten and a half inches of snow fell that day, a lot of it during the game, 30-mile-an-hour winds. It was, one other historical note, it was the smallest crowd in Lambeau Field history, 19,856 people, at least that's what the official was, actually made it to the game because pretty much all the roads were impassable. Uh, the Bucks had 65 net yards. Some guy by the name of Steve Young, he was 8 of 17 for 53 yards. The Packers had 512 yards. Just Tampa, 24 hours before that, had been obviously in Tampa, 80 degrees. They didn't bring the right cleats. So they basically couldn't run in the snow. So the Packers were like, yep, okay, fine. This is not a big deal. Dominated. So those are the two kind of historical or um, kind of noteworthy uh matchups at, at least you know going back uh through the 80s obviously a picture here with Favre and Sapp there were some some other memorable games maybe not from a scoring or a historical standpoint but I know Favre and Sapp always were yapping at each other and that was always a matchup that was that was to be remembered I remember getting a phone call that morning Jeff from our friend JP yeah <laughs> who asked me if I wanted to go to the game and I think I said to him are they actually going to play? <laughs> they actually played, John. He, he laughed. He said, yes, John, it's professional football. They're going to play. Uh, and I had to ask my dad if I could go. And, you know, I was like, well, how are you going to get there? I said, well, can you give me a ride to JP's house? My dad's absolutely not. He wasn't going to, he wasn't going to drive out there. So I did not get to go to that game. But uh, another friend of ours that we went to high school with, Tim, has a story uh, about going to the game, taking a snowmobile. They went across the 172 bridge with snowmobiles really <laughs> yeah so there's there are people who have stories about <clears throat> sure 10 and a half inches of snow the roads were closed and everything but they yeah, took everything snowmobiles yeah. to get over to lambeau field wow uh, probably a memorable day memorable day in green bay packer history right so one other memorable game as far as the history is concerned the other time we played the buccaneers in the playoffs a much happier outcome this was in the 1997 divisional round um, where we went against uh, Trent Dilfer and the Buccaneers. We won 21 to seven in the divisional round after another strong season. Touchdown pass to Mark Chimura, touchdown run by Levins, two long wall field goals and a Brett Favre two point conversion were the difference on our side. And then Trent Dilfer going 11 of 36 for 200 yards and receptions on the other side. Our defense was doing just fine. And I hope that they're going to be doing the same on Sunday. Uh, a lot about the Packers Buccaneers history, but it's not our, History lesson of the week. Jeff, you have a bedtime story for us. I do indeed. So as Neil mentioned earlier, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers were birthed into the league uh, in the AFC West, bizarrely, in 1976. Um, so uh, going back, so then in 1977, Tampa became a part of the NFC Central. Okay, still a little weird, but this is because Actually, the NFC Central dates back to 1967. So, and the reason why it was formed is um, because New Orleans came into the league and then they, they reshuffled the teams, obviously. So um, the teams in 1967 in the NFC Central, you've probably heard of them, the Vikings, 
Detroit and Chicago and Green Bay. So kind of the the black and blue, you know, the the history of these teams, they are the four core teams that became the NFC Central in 1967. So come 1977 with a realignment and a shuffling, sending Seattle actually to the AFC West and then um with Tampa coming into the NFC Central. Um so the NFC Central then existed from um from that point, starting 1967, Tampa comes in in 77 through 2001. And then in 2001, the Texans were added and, uh, or excuse me, in 2002. So 2001 was the last season of the Central Division. When the Texans were added, 32 teams realigned to eight four-division teams. But during the course um, of the run of the storied NFC Central and the teams the, that the, made the it, NFC Norris, if you will, the NFC Norris, yep, uh, a la Chris Berman. So the NFC Central. So it basically the Packers. These were the lean years. We'll just call them the lean years. Um, so these were not the lean years for the Vikings and um, for the for the Bears, frankly. So the Vikings dominated. Um, the division titles in the NFC Central. So from 1967 to 2001, that's 34 years, the Vikings won 16 division titles. Chicago was second with seven division titles, almost all of them during the 80s. Uh, the Packers limp in with five division titles during that time. Detroit comes in at three. And Tampa comes in at three. Now, what's interesting with Detroit, they're stuck on three. <laughs> they're still stuck on three. So I said, okay, so let's let's get a bigger sampling size. So you've got the NFC Central. So the Bucks are in from 77 to 01. So let's let's take a bigger sample size that okay, we'll include Tampa in this as well. But from 1967 to 2021. Okay, so you've got this the NFC Central. It becomes the NFC North or Norris division. So that's 54 years. So what does this look like? So the Vikings are still at the top of the heap with 20. They've won 20 division titles in those 54 years. Packers, 17. Chicago, 11. And Detroit and Tampa. Well, Tampa's not in anymore, obviously. But Detroit is still stuck on that three spot. So a couple other um, notes about the NFC Central. Um, the Bucks won their first NFC Central division game. It took them a couple of years. Uh, it was September 17th, 1978 at the Vikings. Wow. So um, as Neil alluded to in 1977, when the Bucks came in, they, they were winless in 76. They won two games in 1977, um, and then they had their first NFC Central win, uh, September 17th, 1978. I, I want to go uh, back to 77. There's an oddity in the schedule that year, right? So the, the Buccaneers lost their first 12 games that year and then won the last two. So they had a 26-game losing streak to yes. start. Uh, the Packers, despite being in the same division, actually only played the Buccaneers once that year. So I think we got off a little bit lucky with a really bad team only getting <laughs> to uh, play the Buccaneers once and not having that second opportunity to uh, lose to the franchise that had never won a game. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, these were the NFC Central 
it was it was all Vikings because the Packers, like I said, had won five division titles, including the 1967 division title where they went on to win Super Bowl II. Um, so the Packers titles uh, in the NFC Central proper were 67, 72, 95, <laughs> 96, and 97. A bit of a gap there. Um, so Detroit's three titles still only three titles since 1967 1983 91 and 93 thank you Barry Sanders um Chicago like I said they've won a few more but again theirs were primarily clustered around in the 80s um a couple other very quick notes here we have uh division winners to win the Super Bowl there's actually only three Two of them are Packers, 1967, 1996, and the 85 Bears. That's it. That's all. And that's the history lesson for tonight. And, and the Buccaneers certainly, as far as, you know, overall play, wins, Super Bowls, things like that, the new look Buccaneers, a far cry from Bruce the Buccaneer, the orange cream school uniforms. Yep. Uh, and I think we're going to see that in a throwback game sometime this year. So we bring back the orange and white. Uh, that'll be nice. But Jeff, you know where you find my Buccaneers? under my bucking hat <laughs> <laughs> right. that's not exactly the f-bomb we were looking for this, no, this episode neil, neil dropped one earlier though hey <laughs> that, that that is true and and uh briefly getting back the buccaneers were you know the punchline for many many years and really the the biggest issue was their their ownership yeah. uh hugh culverhouse it was they had during his tenure, they had Hall of Fame players, and he just was too cheap. He, he wouldn't pay him. So in the um, there was an overhaul of the team. They got a new stadium, obviously Raymond James Stadium. There was a turnaround, and like I said, they've they've won two Super Bowls since then, thanks to Chucky and uh, and uh, Mr. Brady. But uh, without without Chucky's help and without Mr. Brady's help, they're still kind of mired in in mediocrity. Let's hope uh, mediocrity, mediocrity continues on week three this year. Neil, what did uh, uh, Buccaneers coach uh, John McKay, what did he say when an interviewer asked him about his team's execution? What did he say? He said, I'm in favor of it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the quipster, John McKay, yes. <laughs> so Packers, Buccaneers in Tampa. It's a late game on Sunday this week. We'll be watching. Hope you're watching too. We'll talk more about it next week as well as uh, other games around the league. We'll have a player of the past as well for you, history report, and we'll keep moving on. Now that the curse has been lifted, we're looking for more Packer victories. You guys, anything else before we go? I'm just looking for us to play a clean game and one in which we are competitive, in which we play at our best level on both offense and defense. And if we do that, we're going to win. I agree with Neil and I'm okay with losing my five confidence points for picking <laughs> a loss. All right. And for those of you watching us on YouTube, I want to remind you there is a subscribe button at the bottom. Please subscribe to our page. Don't be uh, shy about leaving comments as well. You can type in, let us know how we did. Uh, leave a comment there as well. As always, you can get information on the GBC podcast at Green Bay Chat on Twitter and on Facebook at the GBC podcast, Green Bay Chat. And as always, may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.